Amen. Thank you for that. That was great. Let's open to Luke 24. I haven't forgotten that I preached from Luke 24 last week, but I wanted to give you some more from Luke 24 after last week. We're going to go to the end of the chapter here and begin in verse 44 and work our way down through verse 53. We've been considering in the last couple of weeks the events in the life of Christ surrounding his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We began with Palm Sunday, and we looked at the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem as he began his path to the cross. Then we looked at his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion, his death, his burial. Last week we culminated all of that by celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ as we celebrated together that Jesus is alive, as we proclaimed together that Christ is risen. Amen? Praise the Lord for that. He is risen indeed. Today I want us to look at the ascension of Christ as we complete this group of sermons fit for the Easter season. And I don't want you to misunderstand the timeline here. This is not to say that a week later Jesus ascended into heaven. It didn't quite happen that quickly. But I want you to kind of wrap your mind around the full account of the gospel here. He lived a sinless life. He made his way into Jerusalem to go to the cross. This was not by mistake. He said goodbye to his closest friends in the Last Supper. He prayed in the garden. He was arrested. He was tried in a mock trial. He was put on a cross with trumped up charge because he was sinless, but he gave up his life when he said, it is finished. The grave tried to hold him, but after three days, the grave gave up and Jesus was victorious. He was seen among men for many days and then he ascended back into heaven. Luke gives us this account at the end of his gospel and then in Acts chapter 1 as Luke begins his second writing, and he writes to Theophilus there, He brings back to mind what he finished the book of Luke, Luke's gospel, with and gives more information. But I want us to take a moment today to just consider the wrap-up here, the ascension of Christ. In this account of Jesus' ascension, I want us to consider three headings from our text. That Christ fulfilled scripture and accomplished our redemption. That he included us in this fulfillment as witnesses And that he went away that we might experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's read together. Luke 24, verse 44. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written and thus it behoved Christ to suffer And to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem. Excuse me. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. Let's pray. 
Lord, we ask your blessing upon this time as we consider your word. I pray that you would open our eyes that we might see and our ears that we might hear. Holy Spirit, illuminate the word and apply it in our lives in a way that would be so helpful to our Christian growth and to the ministry that you've called us into as your servants. Bless our church. Bless our homes. Bless our jobs and our neighborhoods through the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we ask you to be in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. First heading we take from verse 44 down through verse 47 that in his ascension, Christ fulfilled Scripture. Jesus begins here in verse 44 with the reminder that what is happening here is what he has told them over the last three to three and a half years would happen. Verse 44, again, he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you. While I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So he says, I've been telling you during my ministry that these things would happen as we've been taught all of our lives from where? The law of Moses, from the prophets, and from the Psalms. Now, what are the things that are happening? Flip back a page to chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. And just remind yourselves from last week, or maybe you weren't here last week, and just remind yourself what's going on in this, this man's life at this time. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments, and as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is written. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and the third day rise again. So these are the things that are happening during this time. And Jesus gives a reminder here that this is what was supposed to happen. The things that are happening are what was told in the law of Moses, what were told by the prophets, what was told in the Psalms, all of their old covenant writings. And now he said, I've been telling you throughout my life that this is going to happen. He reminds them that this is a fulfillment of Scripture. This is not the first time that he's given this kind of instruction or this reminder. Notice verse 24 of chapter 24. And certain of them which were with us went into the sepulcher and found it, even so as the women had said. But they saw not, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? So he, he's given them this instruction that this was supposed to happen, this is what's going to happen, that I'm about to do next. He asked that question there in verse 26. And likely they don't understand completely there what he's saying. is He says, Ought not Christ... To have suffered these things and then enter into his glory. He's preparing them for this idea of his going away. The ascension of Christ as a fulfillment of scripture. He's explaining through all of this the old covenant mystery. Now it's not a mystery to you and I. It's now been revealed. But to them they lived in this time of moving from what was a mystery over to what was a reality. And it having to replace what was their current reality. Now, we're not going to do this. Some religions of 
in today's world have done this. But, it, but could you imagine if I came before you this morning and say, the Lord spoke to me directly and I've written a third testament. And, and you all would say, what? Boo, boo. Get this guy out of here. But, but should that, this is not, but should this be the thing, it would be very hard for you to receive this. Even if in the New Testament it said, and I, I, I should have gone down this rabbit trail, but I need to finish the thought, so hang with me here. We're not going to do this. I'm not going to do this ever, but I feel so guilty even saying it out loud. But even if the New Testament it said, eventually there will come a guy named Chance with a blue tie on, and he will give you the, the rest of the words of Christ. You would have a hard time in your current religious system putting this aside and embracing the new because even if it were there, it would seem like a mystery to you or it seemed like something that maybe you're never going to live to see. These old covenant believers, faithful to the word, faithful to God's truths, memorized it, lived according to it, cling to it. They loved God. Even some who had a problem with this guy, Jesus, who claimed to be God's son, they loved God. As we continue in church history, Saul of Tarsus is going to come along. And he, for the love of God so much, is going to persecute the church. He's going to breathe out threatenings against them. He's going to hold their coats as they stone Stephen. And he's going to do it. Very, in a very pious way, in a very seemingly holy way, proud before the Lord. Because in his training and his upbringing, he's stomping out this thing which isn't in according to what he's learned and practiced all of his life. Not only is Jesus' birth and life and death and burial and resurrection fulfilling of Scripture, but his ascension is also part of what we're told here. And Jesus reminds them of this clearly. It was a mystery, but it's now been revealed through the person of Jesus Christ. And he uses very familiar things for them, like this threefold division of the Hebrew Bible. The end of verse 44, written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. He's saying here that every part of scripture bears witness to him. Further, he says to them that this must be fulfilled. Now again, I think we understand that in our day easier than they would have in their day. This must be fulfilled for us to be saved. This must be fulfilled for us to be redeemed, for our sins to be forgiven, for us to be made friends of God instead of the enemies of God. It's why we can thank God for grace this morning. It's why we can be happy and joyful that Jesus paid it all and proclaim publicly all to Him we owe. It must be fulfilled, and it was as it must be. It's no accident that these things have happened. This is simply the revealing of the purposes of God. Then verse 45 says that Jesus opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. He opened their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures, Luke writes. Now that's a wonderful biblical fact. It's also wonderful that Luke, who wasn't there when it happened, doesn't miss that detail in his research and report. As he writes back to Theophilus, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that this is how it's going to be. That dead spiritually 
human minds cannot perceive and comprehend God's words on their own. What Jesus is referring to is still a mystery to them. It's still somewhat hidden. Evidently, that's due to their spiritual deadness. But here he shows them the way to understand the Bible. He opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Look back at verse 32. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? Now prior to this point, Jesus has spoken scripture to them over and over and over again. But they're pointing this out as something new. They're saying here, what's that funny feeling we felt inside? Our hearts burned within us as he opened to us the scriptures. This is unique. This is new. This is unfamiliar territory for them. Followers of Christ. Believers in his resurrection. But here we see Holy Spirit illumination. Enlightenment as Jesus opens to them. The scriptures. Now, this is a very common theme all throughout the Bible. That God must open our spiritual eyes that we may see. And it happens through the Holy Spirit all the way through the Bible. We see it kind of in mass here and in the book of Acts and then throughout the epistles. It kind of, it really comes at once or it comes in in a whole. But throughout all the scriptures we find the case that the Spirit of God must work among men for God's purposes to become real to those men and women. Let me give you some proof text for that. Psalm 119.18, the psalmist writes, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. I love that verse. There are days when I'm reading the word and I can't stay awake. I'm reading the word and there's too many distractions. Or I'm reading the word and my brain is busy on other things. And I have to stop and say, Lord... Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. We sing a song, open my eyes and let me see. Acts 16.14 is another proof text for this point. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of by Paul. The point being that had her heart not been opened, she could not have attended to the things being spoken of by Paul. How did she become aware? How did she react? Because God opened her heart. Not the blood pumper. At, at, at worst, the seat of her emotions. At best, her physical knowledge transformed here into spiritual knowledge in her thinker. 1 John 5.20, And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding, that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. We, We affirm that. We believe that. But how do we know this is the true God? How do we even come to the faith of believing that this is eternal life? How do we even know that this is true? How do we know that... We can know Him, that is, truth, because the Son of God has come and given us an understanding. This is what is recorded by Luke in verse 45. As He 
Jesus reveals to them specifically. He opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Well, what specifically in this context? The death and the resurrection of Christ. Verse 7. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. Verse 26. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? Verse 46, and he said unto them, Thus is it written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. The calling of people and the remission of sin would be the next part of this. So they would come to understand the death and the resurrection of Christ. Verse 47 then, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So we have this, these spiritual truths. That he opened their eyes that they might see. He opened their understanding that they might understand the death and the resurrection of Christ. The calling of people to repentance and the remission of sin. Think back with me to Genesis and God's covenant with Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12 verse 3, God says to Abraham, I will bless him that bless thee, I will curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Well, that's a great promise. In fact, any of us that would have a direct conversation with the Lord and he say that to us, we would say, this is great. But now we're Bible thumpers. But imagine you're Abraham. Was Abram, pre-Abraham, was Abram a Bible-believing, suit-wearing, track-toting God follower? He was not. God went over to Ur of the Chaldees and found an idolatrous man and said, follow me. And he said, I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. And through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, if you're carnally minded, you're worshiping idols, you're in the practice of asking this of your idols, should your idols give you any, any, any promises, And then here comes another God, best you can tell, except this one speaks to you, those idols never have. You're going to ask one big question. How? I was buying a used car one time, and the the guy, the salesman, he says to me, after some going back and forth, he says, we're going to make this work out. We're going to put you in this car today. And I asked him that same question. I said, how? You only have this much money and you're wanting this much money? The car's only worth this much money? That's not a bad question to ask. And Abraham, if I were him, if I were in his boots there, I would say, well, how? And all throughout the Old Testament, we we begin to see that question be answered. As God says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. And through your seed, through your line, through your people, I'm going to make all the families of the earth blessed. How is this possible? It's possible by what Luke is telling us here in Luke 24, through repentance and remission of sin. Psalm 22, 27. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. So we find here in the story of his 
ascension, right behind his resurrection, right behind his crucifixion, Christ fulfilling scripture. All of this was used upon Christ's atoning work, which has now been accomplished. And then even in his ascension, he's fulfilling scripture. All right, that's point one, and that's important information to know. But it doesn't make us giddy as much as point two. Christ included us. Look at verse 48. And you are witnesses of these things. Now, we're going to get to that, but I want to back up for just a moment into the end of verse 47. Because I think these are very beautiful words. And how that verse ends. We focus mostly on the repentance and the remission of sins that would be preached in his name. But notice where it says it will be preached in his name. Among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. That's a wonderful thought. This is good news. The good news accomplished through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Our redemption would begin at Jerusalem. We read about that happening here and then over in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. But according to this promise so to speak in verse 47 beginning at jerusalem but then being among all nations it doesn't stop there it goes to all the nations how do we know that's the facts because here we sit in another nation all the way across an ocean and we have the gospel what a blessing christ included us he included us right here in luke chapter 24 prior to his ascension I mean, he didn't say Tennessee. He didn't say Kingston Springs. But he did say to all nations, and here we sit reading this. In verse 48, you are witnesses of these things. Not only can we experience it, but we are given the role of spreading this news. The role of the church. The role of those people, these families that make up the church is to bear witness to what God has done. It's a simple role, but it's an essential role, and it's one that we must discipline ourselves to remain fervent in. Over in Acts chapter number 1, let's just go there. Paul's Paul's in Luke 24 here, and just flip a few pages to Acts 1. This same guy, Luke, begins Acts 1 by saying this. He says, The former treatise have I made, so his gospel, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to both do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but... Verse 8, very key verse in your Bibles. But you shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria 
and unto the uttermost part of the earth. This is an essential role that we, the church, have. The saved. God's people. We're to be bearing witness. And then how should we go at it? We'll look at how they were told to go at it. Where are they when they're being told this in verse 8? They were in Jerusalem. Where's the first place he tells them to bear witness? Jerusalem. Start right there. Just, just start right here in this town. Start next door to your house. Start if you're, if you're, we learned about some gifting this morning. If you're mercy gifted, find some down and outers in this area. And go and help them for the gospel's sake. If you're servant gifted, find some who need some help that you could serve. And go and serve them for the gospel's sake. Where? In your Jerusalem. Is it a mistake that you're living where you're living? I used to sing from the pulpit. And then I found out it was a real song and I didn't have the rights to the music. So now that we live stream, I have to be careful what I sing. No, I'm just kidding. But you know, some of you can remember this from years ago. One of you were reminding me that I used to always talk about Krispy Kreme donuts from the pulpit. So that, that I don't is a proof that you can teach old dogs new tricks. See, I've grown. I've moved on past my Krispy Kreme illustrations. But one of the things I also used to do was say, Lord, don't send me to Africa. And Brother Tom Mattis told me, he said, that's a real song. I said, nah, I made that up. I was just singing that in my head. He was like, nope. And I looked it up and I found it. And there really is a song, Lord, don't send me to Africa. It's a children's song, you know, the idea being we should have a heart to go and do wherever, whatever the Lord have us to do. But God doesn't persecute the church out of Jerusalem until they've reached Jerusalem. He doesn't tell them, go across the sea and then come back over here. He says, reach Jerusalem, then go to Judea, the surrounding country, then go to Samaria, the place just north of you there, but then also go to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, that you and I sit here this far away from Jerusalem and have the scriptures means that at some point, People, best they could tell with their maps and their boats and whatever tools they had, had gone to the uttermost parts of the earth. Praise the Lord. Now, we got lots of information these days, and we understand that the Bible is not in every language in the world, so we have people who do great work in translating the Bible into multiple languages as quickly as they can, as often as they can, to get the Word of God to people that don't have it. Very thankful for that. I'm thankful for technology. You can sit there on your phone right now and you can get it in 28 different languages. Then if you pay a 99 cent fee, you can get it in 28 more, right? And this is how it works on your apps. But it was the start right there in Jerusalem. This is the role of the church. We we were big on experiencing it. But we're given this role of spreading the good news. Go back to chapter 24 of Luke, verse 48. You are witnesses of these things. Let's be fervent in this essential role. Acts chapter 2, verse 32, we already just left. says, This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Acts chapter 5, verse 32, And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. 
This reference brings us to this portion of our text. Christ fulfilled scripture. Christ included us as witnesses and then Christ went away. Now we may not like that Christ went away. But we have to remember that he said he was going to go away and that he was to go away with purpose. I want to get into that in verse 49 and through the end of the text. But I want you to flip over to John 14 just for a quick reminder of this. John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now, I don't know that I've ever preached this in a worship service before, but if you've been to a funeral lately, you've probably heard this preached. It is very comforting words in in a funeral service, but it's very helpful words among the living. So let this resonate in your mind as one who sees that your God has fulfilled Scripture and believes that he's included you as a witness of his fulfilling Scripture and then has gone away, but gone away with a promise. So Jesus is going to go away, he says in John 14. We know according to Luke 24 that he did go away in Acts chapter 1. But in regards to that, he says, don't let this trouble you. Just as you believe in God, believe in Jesus. Why? Verse 2. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. Well, there's the first comfort to us, the believers, the witnesses left here to spread the gospel. Is that there's a place for us after we're done in this place. Okay? Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. He's gone, but he's going to come back. That's the second comfort. And receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's heaven. You, you can go into a lot of definitions and things about heaven. Streets of gold, gates of pearl, walls of jasper. Great. It's excellent. It's wonderful. But I don't ever want you to forget that sometimes God has to tell us things so that our human thinking can wrap our minds around them. And that probably they're going to be twice as good because he can only tell us the half. You're you're wearing gold this morning. I've got some, I have white gold on this morning. It's a valuable material here in this earth. God uses it to pave streets with where he is. Now, is that literal? Well, it reads like it's literal. But I don't want you to limit it to that literalness. It could be that it's something more than we ever imagined. And the best thing God could give us down here to help us understand it is gold. We, some of us were just talking about, what, what in the world? How's God going to make a gate out of pearl? Is it going to be carved? Is it going to be one big pearl? You know? Oh, that was me and you, Lucky. We were talking about that. And Lucky said that's going to be one big oyster. <laughs> That's all wonderful to think about. I don't know how motivating it is to our witness. But I do want you to know this. Where am I going to go when I die? Where have those I loved gone now that they've died? Where can I promise people that if they'll believe in a resurrected Christ, they can go where they die? Verse 3 tells us that. Where he is, there they will be also. Verse 4, whither I go, you know, and the way, you know. Now, that's a hard one to comprehend with human minds. And Thomas, one of his disciples, says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Now, that's the chance-inspired version there. It actually reads, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? 
That's a great question. I love logical and smart questions in the, in the text. You could see this as a doubt. You could see this as Thomas not having faith in what the Lord has said. And, and he speaks in doubt here. But I don't see it that that is all. It's a class question to get some clarification. And Jesus gives him wonderful clarification. In fact, based off verse number 6, aren't you glad Thomas asked the, verse, the question in verse 5? It's one of my favorite verses in all the scripture. Jesus said unto him in verse 6, I am the way. I'm going to add some emphasis here. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's exactly what Jesus said to him there. He is the great I am. And he says to Thomas, who says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? Because Jesus had just said to him, where I go you know and the way you know. So that where I am, there you can be as well. And Thomas says, well, that's exactly where I want to be. But I don't know how to get there. And Jesus says, well, the way is me. Because I am the way. And I am the truth and I am the life. And you can't come to the Father but by me. Verse 7, if you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. We get some more conversation there. Verse 11 is important there. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Verse 16, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Capital C, he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. He's at least speaking of deity there, one of the Godhead. But it's the Holy Spirit explained in verse 17. I'll give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. The Greek word that we pull in for comfortless there, it could also be translated orphans. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus goes away here in his ascension, but he promises to return. But 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 he gives... He gives some substance to his promise. He gives earnest. Something down on what he's about. He's going to in the future do for us. And that is the Holy Spirit of God. I want to leave you comfortless. In fact he says. I'll give you another comforter. I don't have the reference. I wish I had it for you this morning. But I didn't really come to you to preach to you about the Holy Spirit. But. I believe there's another reference in the gospel where Jesus says, one better, better than me. Maybe I'm wrong on that. You can go back to Luke 24. But here we learn about the coming of God's Holy Spirit. Christ went away. He had told them that he would go away. But in his going, we find the Holy Spirit coming. He tells his disciples in John, you know about the Spirit. You've been used of him, you've you've had access to him, but the time is coming where he will be in you. That was new. That was something that wasn't quite happening yet, but he said this is going to happen. And then in Acts chapter number 2, on the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up to preach, and the Holy Spirit does come. And these people, full of the Holy Spirit for the first time, begin to look, look in such a way that the world says, these guys are drunk. 
They're not drunk. They're full of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you some Old Testament prophecy and bring this around to the New Testament. Jesus will go away, but he will send the gift of the Spirit of God that has been promised. All the way back to Joel. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days... I will pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Now, I'm going to make two glorious points to you here this morning. Joel said that the day would come that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. We live in the day that we have Romans chapter 10 that states clearly in multiple times that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that great? It's wonderful and it's glorious. But church, we are guilty of focusing such on that And leaving off everything else Joel said. He began this little segment by saying, It'll come to pass, Joel speaking for God here, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Do you know why? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's why. Because God has poured out his spirit upon all flesh. How can I... Win my friends to Jesus. How can I lead a lost loved one to Christ? My next door neighbor is just a real heathen. Not you, Aunt Redonna. Somebody else. How can I share the gospel? Or I've tried and they won't receive it. They're so hard-hearted. Well, you cannot do this thing. But the Holy Spirit of God can do this thing. And be filled with the Spirit and walk in the Spirit and operate according to the directions of the Holy Spirit. And it will come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 49, Luke 24, 49. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. What is that promise? Well, Joel told us what the promise was. But tear you in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So stay here. And wait until this happens. And they did. You know, they went out to the Mount of Olives as Jesus ascended. The angels come down. You men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing? Just as he left, he'll come back. Now do, do what he said. Well, what did he say? He said, go to Jerusalem and wait. They went to Jerusalem. They were in this upper room. And they waited. And on the day of Pentecost, the, the Holy Spirit did come. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the Holy Spirit has come. And his role is a great benefit to the church. Now remember the church. The called out ones. We put that English word to it. But this is what he's talking Those of us who are the called out ones, 
are, are not only believers in this death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, but we're those who've had their understanding open and who've been given this commission to go and be witnesses of these things. How are we to do this? Well, we've been endued with power. The Holy Spirit has come. And Jesus promised here that this would happen. I'm going to go away, but I'll send you the Holy Spirit. We already read John 14, 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. No, we didn't read that. I didn't get that far when I was there. John 14, 26. Good verse. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. That's a great blessing. It's a great help. We, we have a man-made version of this. It's called Big Tech. They've given us these devices in our hands that tie us into all knowledge, or at least all human knowledge. That teach us all things. That help bring things to our remembrance. When if you asked me something before church, said, hey, I need to check something with you. Is this what you said? And I went back and I looked in my calendar over here and I said, no, that ain't what I said. This is, this is actually what was the case. I couldn't remember because I didn't have to remember because this device was remembering for me. We'll sit around the house and we'll say, you know, who's the best player ever in sports? And the kids all have their theories and I look it up and I say, Google, who's the best player in sports? And it'll say so-and-so is the best player ever in sports. And we say, oh, Google says it. It must be. He'll teach you all things. He'll bring all things to your remembrance. Why am I making this point? And it's not only just big tech. It's, it's been many things down through the centuries. Because if we're not careful, we become so much more dependent upon these things than we do the very Holy Spirit of God, whom Jesus has sent to us, that God has provided for us, that we might do His work. Well, I read this book, and it says this is how you should do it. You know what I found in my adult Christian life on that? Three years later, there's another book, and it says do it different, and I'm like, that guy's right, that first guy was wrong, let's do it this way now. And then three years later, there's another book. I'm not against reading books, I, I read books, and I love to read books. We need to read books. But if that or any other thing becomes the source of our strength, the source of our power, because we got this idea and we're excited about it, instead of the the fire shut up inside our bones, which is the Holy Spirit of God, and the direction that He sent us in, and the will that He's put us on to, to, to go and do this thing, we'll be fruitless because we'll be powerless. In the ascension of Christ, Jesus points out here, this is fulfillment of Scripture. You are witnesses of these things. And I'm going to send the promise of my Father to you. Wait in Jerusalem until you are given power from on high. And they knew John 14, 26. The Holy Spirit will come, teaching you, bringing things to your remembrance. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 reads, 
in whom you also trusted, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. What a great earnest of our inheritance. If you're in relationship with God and you have the Holy Spirit, you understand what a, what a thing this is for you in your life. And to think that that's just the earnest, that there's still some inheritance, is, is beyond my comprehension. We're thankful to Jesus for going away. I mean, I think about it sometimes and it brings me to the conclusion of, boy, I wish I could walk with him during his life. Or I wish he'd have just stayed, you know, you'd think like his disciples. Just go ahead and set up your kingdom now. Just let it be. But I'm thankful for Jesus going away because through the coming of the Spirit, then we are brought back to Jesus. What a wonderful thought. In these concluding verses here, chapter 24, and in the end of Luke's book here, the end of his gospel account of the life of Christ, he actually does give us the the factual record of the ascension. Verse 50, and he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. So Jesus took them out to this place. He put up his hands. He said a blessing upon them. Verse 51, he gets carried to heaven and it came to pass while he blessed them. He was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Verse 52, they worshipped him and then returned to Jerusalem. They worshipped him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. Now notice the recognition of Jesus' deity here. These are not those who would worship anything. These are those who would worship the one true God. So in worshiping Jesus, they felt that that's who he was. Notice further, separation from Jesus doesn't bring them sadness here. It says they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They didn't return to Jerusalem sober and say, He died. We thought he was gone. But then he was back alive and right here with us. And what a wonderful thing that was. But now he's gone again. Shucks. No, they're with great joy. They're worshiping him. He goes up into heaven. And they go back to Jerusalem. And they are pumped up. What are they pumped up about? They haven't received the Holy Spirit yet. They've simply received this promise. And in light of what they've experienced. And in light of what they've been promised. They worship with great joy. That encourages me. There are days where I I don't feel very saved. There are days when I'm very full of wonder at what God is doing in life. Lord, what in the world are you doing in this life? And I'm still one waiting on a promise. But here I sit receiving that first promise of the Holy Spirit. Well, then it's all right that we worship. We can worship with uncertainties. We can worship with hearts that are down. We can worship in times where we don't really know what's going on at all, but we know God. They worshiped here with great joy. They were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. The ascension marks the end of the work that Jesus came to do on the earth. Further, it is the beginning of what he continues to do in and through the church. 
the ascension was the restoration of glory, the glory of Christ prior to the incarnation. It was the glorifying of human nature in a way that had never happened before. It was the begin of a reign that had never existed in this form before. In fact, the ascension establishes three doctrinal facts for us. First, that Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He occupies the position of ruler on God's behalf. Second, that Christ is spiritually omnipresent. Jesus is accessible to all that appeal to his name, and he's powerful to help them anywhere. If he had stayed, would we have that reality? I mean, if if he was over at your house with you, could he be over at my house with me? But here in his ascension, we see him spiritually omnipresent. Third, we see that Christ is working his heavenly ministry. In sovereignty, Jesus now lavishes upon us the benefits that his suffering won for us. So Christ went away. And though we would long to see him and be present with him, in going away he fulfilled all of scripture and accomplished that which we truly need. We are a sin-sick people. But now he sits in a place of authority to have our sins forgiven. We are a physically sick people. But Jesus heals our diseases. We are depressed. We are poor. We are needy. We often doubt. But Christ is just what we need, where we need it, when we need it. Further, he sent us his Holy Spirit to enrich our lives and to enable us for service. So as we conclude these Sermons on the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is calls for praise. We sang this morning a continuation of celebrating resurrection. Living he loved me. Dying he saved me. And one day he's coming back. Oh glorious day. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Thank you Jesus for the blood applied. I want us to end our time here together by singing the little chorus, He is Lord. He is risen from the dead, and He is Lord. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Christ is our Savior, and He is our Lord. I wonder this morning, do you need salvation? Do you need forgiveness of your sins? Do you need the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God? Is your life a mess? Is your health a mess? Are your finances a mess? You need Jesus Christ. I don't know that he's going to give you more money. But he might give you peace and wisdom with the money you have. And he might heal your diseases. Or for his glory, he may cause you to be sick. But with his Holy Spirit inside you, And the knowledge of him before you, you'd be able to face that and smile at your storm. And I don't know that you can fix all the messes in your life because that involves a whole lot of other people. But in your own little box there, you can find peace and comfort and whatever it is that you need. I was going to say structure, but 
Some of you don't need structure. Some of you operate best in a mess. I have to have things just so. It's bugging me that there's more people over here than over here this morning. Christ is all we need. And with Christ, you have the Holy Spirit as well, and the Father. If you're unsaved this morning, I would encourage you to step out in faith and be saved. Would you put up your hand there, Brother Scotty? Brother Preston? Scotty and Preston, saved men, leaders in our church. If you're unsaved, you come see these guys. They can lead you to Jesus. Miss Penny, she's back there in the back. That's Scotty's wife. She taught him everything he knows. <laughs> Ladies, if you're unsaved, you go see Miss Penny. You go find Miss Shanae. Raise your hand there, dear. Let everybody look at you in public, you know. We don't want to leave you helpless. I could preach this till I'm blue in the face, but if I don't show you the solution, and the solution is in the Word, and these people know how they're trained to take you according to the Scriptures and say, this is how you can be saved. Christians, I predominantly preach to you, though. We should not live as the world. We shouldn't live as those who have no hope. Preston read that to us this morning. We shouldn't be miserable. We have hope beyond the grave. We have hope out of this world. Are all of these temporal things getting you down? Holding you back? Taking up your time and keeping you from fulfilling the witness that God has called you to? Maybe you need to recommit, renew fellowship. I don't know the word, but it probably starts with a re. You need to do business with the Lord this morning and say, Father, we've gone through the triumphal entry, the arrest, the trial, the crucifixion, the death, the burial, the resurrection. Praise the Lord. And now the ascension. And I see my role according to Scripture. But I'll let all of these things burden me and keep me away. Help me to be focused on what it is you've called me to do. Let's stand up and pray and take some time and respond to the word. Lord, I pray your blessing upon this time. May the lost be saved. May the saved have a renewed faith to go and do what you've called us to do in Jerusalem and then Judea. They pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As the musicians play, let's take time to respond to the word of God.